Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. We've had Ryan Leaf on the show before. Fantastic interview. Great story to share. Former NFL player, former Washington State star. Uh, you can catch him on ESPN as a college football analyst. You can catch him on Sirius XM talking college football and hear him on Westwood One. He's got a podcast as well. Uh, he's traveling around the country talking to groups as a, as a speaker, a motivational speaker. Ryan Leaf joining us. How are you, man? Where are you today? I am in Alabama, my friend. I'm down here uh, doing some work for the University of Alabama um, around their wellness program, uh, their mental health and substance use uh, disorders, and we're traveling around the state. I've been here since last Wednesday, and, uh, and, and we've been in – all over the state. We're finishing up uh, tomorrow in Birmingham, and uh, and I'll be back home. Give me an idea, because I think a lot of our listeners here in the Pacific Northwest have probably not spent a lot of time in the SEC footprint. How uh, how how often? What part of your day? How prevalent is that SEC feel with people talking about football and excited about the depth chart and all that stuff that we don't normally talk about in our footprint? Yeah, I mean it's it's an institution, and in, in, you know, like football is in our country, in the South, especially in the state of Alabama. Uh, you know, when I speak at these events and I talk about, you know, what that means, you know, the idea of being placed on a pedestal because of what you can do on a football field, uh, they very well understand what that means because it's it's just a way of life down here. And uh, and then you have Nick Saban just down the road, who you know is the height of and maybe the greatest coach of all time and what people don't fully understand about what coach Saban does and and this is a true story Nick Saban was the first coach to bring me in to speak to his team I speak to probably five or six teams a year now every fall and it was because of him he was the first one that brought me in to speak to his team right after they had lost the national championship to Clemson uh with Jalen Hurts in his first year and you know there isn't a better referral than Nick Saban and he saw how much of an impact I had on his team that he referred me to uh, the, the school's president, he asked me to come back, and now uh, the university asked me to come back where I'm not a you know a resident of the state, you know, but I sure spend a lot of time here because they're just at the cutting edge of what, what they do on the mental health side of things, which is, I think, probably foreign for people to hear because you talk about the SEC footprint and football only being it. They have a bigger picture about what's affecting their state, and Nick Saban's at the very front of that. He coaches these kids up, yes, and tries to win national championships, but he really prepares them for the next step when they when they transition out of his football program and into life. Ryan, you know what I love about you, man, is uh, you talk from your heart. You, you've had uh, tremendous life experience as a uh, high-level athlete. Uh, you talk about your sobriety openly. Um, I think it's really inspiring. Uh, you do open yourself up on Twitter to, to idiots who will come after you, and I love how you handle them. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, you you do a really nice job of deflecting them and kind of 
making them look, you know, basically putting some putting a spotlight on on a, on an idiot, and everyone can see they're an idiot. Um, but you know, how candid do you get in these talks, and how much do you talk about your own mental health and sobriety when you're talking with the athletes? Oh, I tell them my story. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I tell them everything. It's as transparent and vulnerable because I have to be. You know, that they're they're smart enough to know if someone's there just kind of, you know, blowing fluff, right? It's 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 imperative that I'm honest and that I'm vulnerable about it. And I talk about what happened because I'm exactly where they were 25 years ago, right? I'm sitting in a room listening to somebody maybe talking about what what things can help and what things can't, uh, hoping that I'm going to make it to the NFL. That's where I was 25 years ago. So I know exactly how they're feeling, where they're at, what, you know, what's going on in their minds and stuff like that. And so I want to give them as much information and understand that I'm not there to tell them what to do or what not to do. This is just my story, right? I've been from, I've, I've experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows and not too many people can actually have that kind of experience. You know, trying to find that middle ground is what you're always looking for. And so, yeah, I think that's a big reason why coaches bring me in. You know, I think it's just, it gives some perspective uh, to these young men and and also to understand that, you know, uh, I'll ask them pretty early on, I'm like, who wants to play in the NFL? And, you know, everybody raises their hands. And then I said, everybody, you know, I said, all right, everybody put your arms down. You know, now two of you raise your hand. So two guys, um, you and you raise your hand. All right, that's how many of you guys will go to the NFL. Now you put your hand up. That's the guy that will make it uh, and be uh, in, in the NFL long enough to be vested, which is which is three seasons. And the shock and awe on their faces in there and the reality of understanding that you better have a plan B. I don't mean you should vacate or stop working on plan A, but you have to understand and, and, and know that there is going to be failure that comes and how do you deal with failure in a positive and healthy way because that's the reason why I did succeed. It wasn't that I wasn't as talented as anybody else out there or I wasn't as good as anybody else out there. It was how I dealt with failure. How do you deal with failure? How does Jalen Hurts deal with losing to Tampa Bay in that embarrassing fashion last year in the playoffs and come back even better this year? Same way with all these great players. And that's why it's so astonishing to me to see the greatness in them and be able to overcome that because I just couldn't. And so when, when, when people on Twitter come at me, I think in the past I was always so sensitive to it and was like hurt by it or something like that. And now I've just accepted everything that has come with it that you're right. Sometimes you just show people the mirror, and maybe, maybe they get the same kind of, uh, you know, clarity that I've gotten when I when I was held accountable for my actions. Like, here, this is how you're behaving. This is who you are, and and you can be better. And you know, if they're willing to try to be different, okay, that's great. But if they're not, I still, you know, I don't know. I think I'm pretty funny. My, yeah, my brother's I... a comedian. Like, he's actually <laughs> my brother's actually a comedian. Like, he writes and directs <laughs> and performs comedy. And I tell my mom and dad all the time, I'm the funny one in the family. I think I am. <laughs> Have you ever had the, the trolls on Twitter uh, reach out to you after, like DM you and say, hey, that wasn't my best moment. I'm really sorry. Oh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. That, that's oh, yeah. Always... <laughs> it's, uh, and, and, then I, and then, of course, I take the high road because that's my, you know, you have a choice in those moments. You double down on being, you know, kind of, you know, you know, idiotic back to them where you go, I understand, man. I get it. I accept I accept your apology, no problem. You know, no 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 harm, no foul. I won't you know, I won't think about it again, you know, I'll move on with my day. I got plenty going on, but I appreciate that. You know, that's how I usually I'll respond to it. 
You know, a lot of people uh, also don't understand in those moments, usually when I respond, I just then mute them immediately because I don't want to mm-hmm. get into a back and forth and I don't plan on getting a back and forth. And when you mute somebody on a social media platform, they don't know that. They just keep screaming into the fans sometimes and you just move on to your next <laughs> thing. And it's almost like a mic drop thing. And, it, and it's, there's a surrender and an acceptance to it. But also I was just getting sick and tired of getting kicked around. At some point, myself in the mirror, like who it was. I didn't care what anybody else had to say. And if you were going to talk some dirt or talk some crap to me, I was going to give it back. That's just, that's just how it is now. And, and I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't take it too seriously. I certainly don't take myself too seriously. But what it has also opened up to, John, is it has allowed people who are struggling or who mm-hmm. might be going things, going through things, it's allowed them to reach out. And not necessarily to me personally, just, just to say it. You know, maybe they're not confident enough to tag me in a, in a post or something like that. They just say it out loud, and now it's, it's, it's lost its power, and maybe they can address it. And it's really, it's really been overwhelmingly um, you know, purposeful in how social media has allowed for us to help a lot of people uh, because of my story and because of what I went through. Ryan Leaf, uh, you can catch him at Ryan D. Leaf on Twitter. Uh, Ryan, I thought about you the other day. I was watching Brock Purdy, last guy picked in the draft, lead his team down, and I thought, gosh, there's probably some guys who were picked sky high, thrown into really stressful situations as rookies, asked to win right away, that would love to be in that Niner offense in that system. You're one of them. I mean, you were picked number two overall in that draft. You go to the Chargers and save the franchise, Ryan. I mean, that's a tough task. Can you maybe speak to that a little bit, what you see Brock Purdy doing in San Francisco? Well, yeah. I mean, there's, you know, there was no pressure. Right? It was this guy that wasn't – no one expected to do anything that he's done. So there, there certainly wasn't any pressure. There wasn't any expectations. And then he's just gone out and performed at a very high level. I, I, I don't want to take away from what he's done. But I, I, I think that's, that's been lost in all this uh, has been the impact that Brian Greasy has had on that quarterback room. Uh, he came out of the booth last year for Monday night well, – last year for Monday night football. Of course, John Lynch brought him on. Uh, with Kyle Shanahan, and, and he's had to maneuver and manage a room that has had to start three different starting quarterbacks, a guy that was drafted third overall with a ton of expectation, a guy that was drafted and traded and was, a, was, a, was pretty much left for dead, and then to get the most out of him, and then when he gets injured to bring in a guy that was drafted last overall in the seventh round and have him perform at a level high enough uh, commensurate with you know the talent on this football team. So... Uh, I, I think this has been a, a cumulative of, 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 of everything, but I just don't think enough credit is being, um, you know, heaped on, on Brian Greasy and how he's managed that room and, and got the most out of all, all three guys when they, got, when they were on the field. I think it's fascinating to kind of look at the quarterbacks who are left playing and how different they are, and, you know, you can kind of understand this is a quarterback-centric game. You know, when you go back to Alabama or maybe you watch the NFL on a weekend – does the game feel different from you? Like, what changes have you seen maybe since you left the game? I, I, maybe we're seeing some younger guys have success, or are the teams doing something different there? What do you see? Um, I, I think the guys are more prepared. That the college game has followed to the NFL. Before, back 25 years ago, a lot of the coaches were old-timers, and they were really invested in what they did. And so they tried to impose their will, their offense, on a quarterback that they drafted. 
you can look at that with the Jeff Fisher scenario with Jared Goff and what that and what that produced a whole bunch of nothing. Sean McVay comes in. Sean McVay, you know, didn't try to implement what he did. He wanted to build an offense around what Jared Goff did well, and that's a guy that could set up over the tackle and, and throw the ball over the football field. He's one of the purest passers I've seen in the NFL game over the last 15 years. And so that's what Sean McVay did, and, and I think that's what coaches are doing now. They adapt to what the player does well and then ask the player to improve on some things that they may be struggling with. And you look at Jalen Hurts where his feet really um, was the momentum um, motivator in that offense. They asked him to get better over the offseason in his drop back and his accuracy. He did that. Same with Lamar Jackson and what Greg Roman and what the Baltimore Ravens did. I mean, there's a lot of this, what, what Brian Dable did with Josh Allen. I, I think it's just the, the ability of these coaches to be more open-minded, have a much different perspective on them, and not try to impose their will, their offense, on somebody that may not fit into it because uh, they just don't. That's not their style, but they're not so stuck or so proud that their offense is the end-all, be-all. Um, we're going to shape it and know that I'm a good play caller, regardless of what the offense looks like. I'm a great play caller as an offensive coordinator, and that's how I'm going to make it work. In the Pac-12, we're looking at a season where we're going to see Caleb Williams back, Michael Penix Jr. back at Washington, Cam Ward back at Washington State, Bo Nix at Oregon. Um, you know, there are just uh, a line of quarterbacks uh, including Oregon State getting DJ uh, Uingalele from Clemson. What do you make of that resurgence? Because it kind of reminds me a little bit of the era, maybe your era or maybe a little after you in the Pac-12. Yeah, it was a pretty good time, uh, you know, in the late 90s. Jake Plummer, uh, myself, Brock Hewer, Damon Hewitt. I mean, there was, there was, there was some, some good quarterbacks. Cade McNown, uh, Carson Palmer right afterwards, you know, so um, – yeah, this is this is going to be a fun year. This is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be incredibly competitive, um, I think, and it's going to make for some very entertaining games. You got the reigning Heisman Trophy winner, who may have not even been the best quarterback in the Pac-12 last year. You know, Michael Penix Jr. certainly could have uh, could have argued for that. Uh, Bo Nix, if he stays healthy down the stretch, you know what what that Oregon team could have looked like. All of those things. It's going to make for such a great season. Uh, I'm excited for it. You know, Washington State's got to take a good hard look. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised if they they hit look at the portal for something. You know, it's a new offense. Cam Ward, I felt like regressed a little bit down the stretch last year. Some things were really exposed. I mean, this is there's an emotionality with me to it because I'm a sure. alumnus and I you know I want him to be better, of course. Um, and, and and I just thought that he struggled a bunch. Uh, you know, up you know up in class with the with the division. And then just against some of the opponents, they just couldn't beat the teams that they were not supposed to beat, right? The five losses came to the teams that all had almost 10 win seasons, every one of them. So uh, it's important that they have to find a way to win those games, and they need a quarterback to do it. So they need to see some improvement in Arbuckle's offense from Cam Ward. If not, I, I would suspect they're going to probably be looking somewhere else as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, as I, I, I was sky high on him to start the year, and then – I didn't see him get better, and I thought the offense only got better when Nakia Watson was healthier and in the lineup. Then all of a sudden they had another dimension, and I guess maybe that's just football. Maybe Cam Ward's just not that kind of guy that can you know, put a program on his back and carry it. Uh, when you look at young QBs, maybe even high school-aged QBs, Ryan, what are you looking for? What jumps out at you 
when you see a kid, in, you know, in a camp or in a game that, you know, you walk away going, all right, these are the things I look for first, second, you know, as you're evaluating? I, you know, I, I struggle with that immensely from the high school level. So my best way of going about things is I call Yogi Roth. That's my answer in all of yeah, this. Yeah. I call Yogi Roth. I ask him all of the information that I need if I'm doing any analysis for people and things like that because he's so darn good at it, and he's so invested in, in the middle of it all. I just, I, that's, he's got so much information going on around in his head. You know, i got enough going on in my life, I figure. So, uh, you know, I use him as a, an incredible resource. High school for me is, um, it's hard. It's hard for me to see what these, these evaluators see because yeah. I, I look at plays and I don't see the future. I see the moment, and I'm like, why couldn't he make that throw? And Yogi will tell me, well, because you couldn't make that throw at that time when you were that age. And I'm like, yeah, I could. I know I could have. But he understands that the development that will happen and what he needs to do to progress, and he can evaluate players and see the future product of it, especially you know every single year dealing with the Elite 11 and what he's been able to do there. So, yeah, he's my kind of go-to guy when I need that information. When I watch college quarterbacks, you know, I look at comps at the NFL level, and I don't look at comps at what they are now. I look at them as comps for what they were like coming out of college mm. because that evaluates two different things. That evaluates a ceiling and a floor for that player. And, and so that's what I look at in terms of what a player is making the jump from the, the collegiate level to the NFL level. For the high school to college one, it's so, so difficult for me to grasp or get my arms around it. So I utilize, you know, people that are smarter than me when it comes to that. You know, it's interesting because even you, when you were being recruited, correct me if I'm wrong, like I have a lot of respect for Dennis Erickson, you know, national championship, you know, guy's a winner, knows quarterbacks. He thought you were a tight end, right? Like he didn't see you. He didn't project you as a QB. Well, he did, but he also knew he was leaving. Like he (laughs) he was very forthright with me. He also knew that if he got an offer for an NFL job, he was going. And that's pretty cool that he would tell a recruit that. So we fully understand that, that, and I think because of the ties of him, he married a Great Falls girl. He had Montana State ties. I just think there was something. Uh, we had a closer relationship, and it continued for the rest of our life. Um, but the recruiting coordinator down there at Miami, yeah, he saw me more as a tight end. Uh, and maybe he even floated the idea of a linebacker as well. So, um, you know, evaluating quarterback talent, especially with a quarterback where I was coming out of high school, where we didn't throw the football. We ran the option. We ran the veer. Like, if there was a game that I had over, you know, 10 pass attempts, like, that was few and far between, man. I was I was running the football. Um, we were running dive, uh, triple option, you know. And, uh, you know, I don't know how I got evaluated as a passing quarterback, but I did, you know. And, and Mike Price saw something in me, and, and uh, you know, I made the, the best decision I could have when I went to college, and he got the best out of me, that's for sure. Ryan Leaf, you can catch him on Twitter. He's a great follow. You can also uh, listen to him if you are into college football or the NFL. You can check him out on ESPN and on Sirius XM and occasionally on the show. I always love seeing you and bumping into you, Ryan. Keep doing what you're doing, man. Hey, thanks. Appreciate it, John. You keep doing what you're doing, too. You're, uh, you're my go-to guy for everything Pac-12, especially living on the East Coast now. So you're an important piece of the puzzle for me, pal. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. Take care of yourself. Uh, there he is from Birmingham. Ryan Leaf uh, spreading the good news and uh, telling his story. I have a lot of respect for him. That's not an easy thing to do. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up.
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Sorry Truth. to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.